you are listening to Blockchain Beat. This episode was previously featured on the Blockchain PR podcast. Hi there, my name is Ana Paula Picasso and you are listening to the Blockchain PR podcast. This time I went to Copenhagen in Denmark to meet Morten Nielsen, co-founder of the Danish startup Arise. We talked about how Arise is solving problems in the remittance market, in Kenya and other merger markets, and their plans to build a cloud-native co-banking. Plus, we chat about financial inclusion, stablecoins, Facebook Libra, ICOs, and much more. I don't do this very often, like face-to-face, quite... uh, it's quite different. I usually do it remotely. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was nice to come out of Malmo and cross the bridge and come here to Copenhagen. I think the weather is becoming quite nice now. Yeah. It's almost like spring. It has been spring all year, right? We haven't had any snow in Copenhagen yet. It's true. No, it's not in Malmo. Not in Malmo. Yeah. So, so, Martin, do you want to... Start talking a little bit about the rise, how you started, a little bit about yourself, your journey. Yeah, of course, we'd love to. Jack and I met about uh, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I was working as to be CEO of another company, uh, more deep tech um, into the blockchain space. But then I met Jack and Jack had some visions about um, creating digital representations of money. Mm-hmm. Jack is your, your co-founder. Co-founder and our CEO. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was about creating a blockchain-based uh, version of money or assets. And uh, I had the same ideas. I come from a traditional finance background. I worked in for JP Morgan in Tokyo and New York and mm. other places. Was very much involved with hedge funds when that first uh, came to the scene and, and I'm, I'm kind of, okay. I'm, I'm not retiring yet, but I'm not that young either yet anymore, right? Part of that industry, uh, at the very forefront of hedge fund industry when that started to mm-hmm. emerge in the early 90s to mid 90s. And Jack had some visions, I had some visions, and we decided that with Jack coming from the tech background, good tech background, solid knowledge about blockchain technology that I didn't have, but I had some other stuff in terms of uh, cybersecurity, biometrics, and other things, but more deep tech, we decided to join forces, and I sold my part in the other company, and I'm, I'm now in charge of the financing of Arise, and also all the banking infrastructure that is required behind the business. Mm-hmm. So, uh, two different age groups, mm-hmm. two different backgrounds, different areas of responsibility, but a huge overlap in the middle where we meet and create great solutions for the future. Yeah, but don't you think that's, that's a good thing that <coughs> you and your partner have different backgrounds because then you complement each other? Yeah, absolutely. We bring total different things to, to the table. Vision about the future cannot come from somebody like me who's more traditional, very skeptical, uh, don't believe What do you say you're traditional? 
Well, I mean, you know, we you've gone through some cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And I was part of a dot com. Uh, I lived in England at that time. Mm-hmm. I've seen what happened in the past. I know what could work, could not work. Uh, I know the life cycle of business ideas and how it takes time before they mature. And I also know how the traditional banking industry works. I know how regulators work. I know all this stuff very well. And I actually present about this a lot. And you know, a lot of things I saw in the early days in the crypto space mm-hmm. was basically what was never going to fly. It was simple as that. It was for me the most obvious trade in the world not to get involved in that. The so what made you change? Because right? when you have an underlying technology and a vision about what um, this, this technology can do, and Jack was very much so a, a pioneer in, in these thoughts, you have opportunity. You can do take the technology, take the visions, and make them adaptable to the real world, and then you have a product. Mm-hmm. Then you have mm-hmm. something that works. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in the space, in the ICO space, in the early crypto space, just mm-hmm. didn't know uh, what they were doing. And um, that created an opportunity for somebody who mm-hmm. knew better how to do it the right way. Okay, okay. So what's, uh, what would you say <laughs> is a RISE mission? Well, in, in this vast um, universe of products and opportunity that you have with blockchain technology, mm-hmm. ours is boiled brought down to something particularly uh, simple yet complex in nature by, by definition, which is to create a digital version of something we all know, which is cash. Mm-hmm. What is cash? Well, cash is basically a the direct obligation of a central bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it, it's not issued by a commercial bank, but you can go take your note, go straight down to the central bank mm-hmm. and get it exchanged for another bill. It is the central bank that backs up cash, right? Mm-hmm. So that's different from when you put money into a bank, because when you put money into a bank, the money is no longer yours. It belongs to the bank and mm-hmm. you get an IOU back mm-hmm. saying, okay, we will repay you your money if we can. Mm-hmm. That implies that there's credit risk involved in you getting your money back. That's not so relevant when it comes to private individuals in the US because most of them are insured by the FDIC Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and they haven't lost retail money since 1948 or something when they were established. I mean, mm-hmm. they just never happened because of the insurance system. And then we have something called Inskyder Guarantee, which is a central bank guaranteeing deposits up to 750,000 Danish kroner of a retail deposit in a bank. But that doesn't apply to corporations. Corporations are not insured. Okay. okay. And not guaranteed okay. by the government. And in many countries, deposits are not guaranteed at all. So credit becomes an issue when it comes to creating this digital representation of the money that we're talking about here. And that's what we're going to do. I was reading about um, Arise. Yeah. And it seems that you guys are very centered in the remittance market. Yeah. Am I right to say that? Very much yeah. so. Are you guys focusing on um, emerging markets? Yeah, well, I mean, if you, if you take the, the, the... Developing countries, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, the reason I'm asking is it's very, it's very close to 
to me because I'm originally from Brazil. Yeah. And even a place like Brazil, and you can, it's quite, you know, developed. I would say probably only sixty percent of the population, the adult population, is banked. So it's quite a lot for, you know, forty yeah. percent, yeah. nothing, and probably it's higher throughout Latin America. So it's quite, it's quite interesting to me to know more how you guys are planning to solve this remittance um, yeah. uh, problem because it's being very cumbersome, very expensive. Um, yeah. yeah. No, but that that is a, a core business case. Mm -hmm. The whole universe of moving money around the world, domestically in, in European countries and the US, is about $2 trillion industry a year. So it's really a very expensive industry. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, yeah, that's yeah, a huge amount massive. of money, right? Yeah. At the same time, the banks do not solve one of the core issues of economic growth in a number of different countries, which is include everybody in the financial system. Mm -hmm. So take an island in the Philippines, for example. Uh, you know, nearly half of the population in the Philippines don't have a bank account. How do you want economic growth to kick off for real? If nobody mm -hmm. has access to any kind of banking infrastructure, if nobody has access to borrowing facilities, neither on a banking level or financial services level, nor on a kind of core, um, how should I say, uh, you know, microfinance yeah, totally, basis, right? Yeah, so, totally. so if somebody wants to say, hey, I have a great idea, I'd like to borrow some money to create a bicycle factory so we all can go to work on this Philippine island faster, it's saying, okay, here's some cash, right? How do yeah. I pay you back? I mean, it just becomes so analog. I know. It prevents foreign investments and prevent any kind of sort of normal uh, dynamics in, in the finance industry that you would expect. So solving that issue about finance inclusion, as you mentioned, is a big one, right? Mm -hmm. 1.7 billion people in the world don't have a bank account, but a lot more people than that have actually have a smartphone. Exactly. So People have more smartphones than bank accounts. Yeah. 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 Why can't they get a bank account? Because banks are commercial entities. They don't mm -hmm. consider you a client or somebody that we want to spend money on or time on if you don't have any money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you can sort of become a valuable fifty to hundred dollar net profit client, then you just can't get a bank account. Mm -hmm. So that prevents economic growth. So Asian Development Bank and the World Bank and others have made some research on that. And they say that if everybody in the Philippines are financially included, just with a simple bank account mm -hmm. and able to move money around and participate in basic financial services, GDP will grow by another 2 to 3% a year. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. That's yeah. huge. You can move people out of poverty if you have that kind of growth rates, yeah. additional growth rates. Yeah. Uh, Surely, by including these people in the financial world, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that is a big mission for us to, to oh. engage in that. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of advantages, even for um, security, because cash it can be stolen, lost, you name it. Yeah. And um, I've seen it happen a lot <laughs> in, when I was living Brazil. Still, can you tell me a little bit about um, 
do you have a case study that you want to mention where arise the present some success stories we, we have numerous cases yeah remittances is one of those cases we're looking at a lot mm -hmm. for us to basically be able to operate this financial system that we require. We also need a banking system and e-money license system that's well progressed at Arise. Mm -hmm. But we spoke to the central bank governor of Kenya when he visited Copenhagen mm -hmm. um, and I presented for the United at the UN. So, mm. There was a conference, UN conference, and I presented that and we met the governor afterwards and he told us that Philippines, sorry, Kenya is very heavily dependent on remittances from workers working abroad. And the UN had calculated that the cost of doing that is 7%. He said to us that it's 10% in the case of Kenya. And not only that, 90% of that stays abroad. The cost of 10%, so if it's $100 being remitted, only mm -hmm. $90 arrives in Kenya. And it lasts $10, 90% of that stays with foreign companies. As in fees Western and Union, yeah. uh, you know, all sorts of foreign operators who don't need uh -huh. a single penny of profit in, in Kenya. Uh -huh. So we can solve that by quite easily for migrant workers. All they have to do is to onboard onto a wallet application we call MAMA, mm -hmm. where we have a digital representation. What's the application called again? Sorry. Sorry, MAMA. MAMA. A multi asset modular app. Mm -hmm. It's kind of short for more complex. Oh, mama, yeah, that mama. sounds good. Application where you can store cash digitally because it's a direct uh, representation of money in the central bank. So you mm -hmm. have no credit risk with the deposits that you have on your wallet. So say, for example, that you have a an employer mm -hmm. working in the US or on a cruise ship or whatever, and you want to remit back money back to your family in Kenya, all you have to do is to get your employer to send $100 to your digital. Mm -hmm. Then that person can remit to his family who have a smartphone. And Kenya is very well uh, connected, right? I mean, there's a lot of connectivity in, in, in Kenya. There's 4G everywhere. Yeah. And you get, if you want to receive dollars, Mm -hmm. His uh, family in, in Kenya gets a hundred dollars. There's no fees at all. Can then exchange two shilling in Kenya at mm -hmm. a cost of exactly what it would cost us to um, to exchange the money to Kenyan shilling. That would be about maybe one percent, including our cost, because we have to go to the professional FX market and we can't deal at mid market. So his mother or sister or whatever would get $99 approximately okay. in local currency. Mm -hmm. So that's already a 90% reduction in the fees compared to what the average person would be. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you send $1 or $100, there's still no fees. Okay. okay. So that's a really big difference from what you have. Right? Yeah. Then we can make that interoperable with other systems. So we can make an integration to MPESA which is a secondary yeah, monetary of system in yeah, Kenya yeah. where you can, uh, that you can use as a means of payment and move money around to that and all of a sudden you have a much more financially inclusive system ready uh, and available for you. Mm -hmm. But let me, let me <coughs> see if I understood. Um, so you guys use a stable coin? Yeah. There's two different things. Yeah. We, we, Please explain. I know a little bit but there's some people who really uh, only came across the word stablecoin, they don't know much about what it is. Stablecoin so, is yeah. really related to 
something that you have trade on crypto exchanges. Mm-hmm. It's a product that's tied directly into the to the Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain space. Mm-hmm. What I talked about right now with the remittances of money on a digital platform doesn't have to go through any kind of stablecoin. We just ensure ah, that the okay. value of $100 is $100 in our banking backend. And you don't have to go through the crypto space for ah, that okay. or any crypto exchange. But if you want to make money real programmable, we would have to, where people can start building applications on top of a blockchain issued stablecoin. Mm-hmm. A stablecoin per definition means it's stable against something else, right? Yeah. So if we in our case do a create a dollar stablecoin backed by a central bank, then you can start creating applications of what is already digital code. You can take $100 from our stablecoin, put it into a contract, or use it for whatever you have in terms of needs, lifting it directly from a crypto exchange. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, as far as stablecoins is concerned, is that for it to be completely usable for a number of different blockchain-based financial applications, you need to know that there's no credit risk involved. You need to know that the price is always one, so dollar is always one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fluctuate on the crypto exchange relative to, to par, i.e. one to one. And you also have to make absolutely sure that there's no security risk associated with it for various reasons that you are completely trusted, can trust this particular coin to be exactly what it's supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. And there's been some issues with that. The biggest stable coin we have is Tether. Yeah, uh, which is, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, they have, I don't know, they, last time I looked, they had about $4 billion outstanding mm-hmm. that was supposed to be backed up in a similar way, but through a banking system, which didn't introduce trade risk to the system. I've heard some rumors, it's not very trust trustworthy. <coughs> well, I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a judge, right? I'm not a, of a lawyer course, or no. anything. But yeah. the fact is that they've been indicted uh, for yeah. not being, uh, for having spend some of the collateral mm-hmm. for backing up something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Indicted by the district court of New York somewhere, Eastern District or Southern District, I don't know. But I mean, that's not good. You want to make no. sure that your clients no. know that a dollar is a dollar and it's a dollar always, right? Always, yeah. Um, yeah. So a stable coin from our perspective is to create something that has lives on a blockchain. And we do that by creating a, an extension to Ethereum, which mm-hmm. we already have. Okay. We're just waiting for it to go live. But we have tested it. It's beta testing now and it, it works perfectly. So um, we have the stablecoin ready in the market in uh, hopefully within a couple of months. Yeah, I want to I want to ask you about Facebook Libra. Is one was one of the most talked about news of last year <coughs> and um, Obviously, there's lots of controversy around it as well about privacy, about security. Uh, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, do you know I anything so. about Facebook Legal? Because one of the claims of uh, their stablecoin would be bring, you know, bank the unbanked, bring those people that are financially excluded to inclusion. Yeah. Do you think they'll be able to pull that off or? First of all, I think it, it, it um, 
to, to answer your last question first, yeah. I think it's a little bit difficult to see a situation where people who don't have any money and don't are not financially included should all of a sudden accept a cryptocurrency as a means of payment that they never heard about. Mm. I think that they would ideally have something that they're familiar with. So if you're in South Africa, you want South African rand or digital representation of South African rand or ceiling in Kenya, etc., etc., not some crypto you don't know, really know what is. Mm -hmm. So so that's fundamentally, I think, the problem and issue that you, you, you have to deal with and overcome. Having said that, when you look at the people who were originally backing Libra, if anybody could do it, they could do it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no question mm -hmm. of that. The problem here is that implicitly in the crypto space and when it comes to stable coins or coins like this that are supposed to function as an alternative to existing currencies. You are moving into a world that basically is saying that all the financial systems and the way we work today is defunct. It doesn't work. It's corrupt. It's, it's just not the way forward um, mm -hmm. when it comes to financial uh, stability in mm -hmm. terms of financial inclusion and all this stuff. That's obviously not the way that regulators think. They might accept that there's still things in the financial systems in the world that could be better, but they will never accept that you should start creating an alternative currency to what they already have and what they try to regulate and improve on as much as they possibly can. So from a regulatory perspective, it's 100% unacceptable that somebody comes out and say, now you, you have a completely different currency for which Facebook would be the central bank. So the opposition from regulators is uh, astronomical. Mm -hmm. And they will probably not accept that uh, Libra would be used uh, or can be used as an official means of payment in, in a normal uh, Day-to-day -day life. Day -to -day yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like what you said about people, they <coughs> think should go to things they know. Let's, let's take Brazil, for instance. Yeah. People pretty much used to cash, they trust cash, you can see it, you know, the, the notes. And I think it would be very difficult for people to change their habits. I'm not saying that cash will go away totally, but even so, to find something they can trust. I say, what's, what's this? I know I have Facebook, they have, you know, a smartphone and everything. Oh, everything happens on Facebook <laughs> in Brazil as well, Facebook and WhatsApp. And um, don't you think it's another big challenge for Facebook is for people to get used to this new idea. They won't, you know, change their old habits so easily. Uh, no, I completely agree. Yeah. I think that it would be, uh, I think it's an illusion that you would think that you can financially include the whole world, but to a cryptocurrency that nobody heard about, yeah. that is miles away from from Brazilian reality, it's called it, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't just don't see that happening. I mean, and you have to see some astronomical benefits for that to happen. Yeah. Fact is, we can create something on Brazilian real that is much that, that people know. Yeah. And if you have any doubts, you can always cash out to the local checkout points that we create in every country to cash again. 
on a day-to-day basis, cash is convenient, it's good, you're used mm-hmm. to it. But what if you want to send money to somebody else who lives away from you? How are you gonna get the you gonna get the money to that place? Yeah, yeah. And how are you gonna get local financing to operate? How are you gonna get remittances to work? Right now, we know already there are thousands of, of um, social impact investment companies in the world that mm-hmm. would like to help uh, with economic growth, uh, sustainable forestry in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, fresh water projects, you know, micro farming, all this stuff. They can't get their money out there. Mm-hmm. And they should go to a banking system and that's really complicated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the money has to go to people who are not, who don't really have a, um, yeah. a bank account. So that's really complicated. So these guys just waiting for the opportunity to, to, opportunity to use our product to get to be able to send money to where it really matters. Mm-hmm. So our NGO case goes also to Ministère Sans Frontières, you know, uh, Doctors Without Borders, uh, Save the Children, Red Cross, who have need of sending money to a specific location, but they can't without going through the traditional banking system in developing countries, and that's very complicated sometimes. Have we heard horror stories about where they needed the money for relief somewhere and the money was held up in local banks who didn't want to release the money unless they were paid a bribe, mm. you know, and mm. the bribe often uh, very substantial, 10, I 20, 100,000 dollars, mm. and it's just like, that's not working. Mm-hmm. So we can create a much better solution for that, and then things can move on from there. We create an ecosystem from the bottom up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, let's talk a little bit about the future. What's the plans for the years ahead, for the next three, four years, five years? First, short term, mm. we're going to be in a situation where we have created an infrastructure based on a combination of blockchain technology and what we call cloud-native core banking. Mm-hmm. Um, where you What's cloud-native core banking? It's basically a very efficient database system that is native to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, highly efficient database structures that can move uh, commands and move assets around on a database really fast. It's not exactly the same as blockchain technology, but it's a very fast way fast to get to market, and it's also way fast to get the banking approvals that we need from regulators. Mm-hmm. who have problems understanding the security layers, the security implication of using blockchain, either blockchain as we know it, on a distributed basis, or permission. doesn't matter, permission means that we decide where the different validators in the network should be. That's not so easy as one would think. So we're using a cloud-native core database solution to get to market, and then we will see how we can move that completely over to blockchain technology in the future, and then we create extensions to the blockchain space based on our core uh, database creation of value and storage of value. Okay, and in the long term? And long term we means that we have a lot of different currencies. Okay. So if you live in Sweden and you want to move money to Brazil, you can do that with just a swipe on your phone and your wallet mm-hmm. at virtually zero cost. And then we have the inclusions to all the fintechs developing financial instruments for the world in such a way that you can lift the components very easily and create whatever you want um, to finalize your product, so to speak. 
Okay. Many things in trade finance are really analog in the sense that you can't really do anything with it um, unless you go to a bank. And having this digital representation of cash, pro which we call programmable money, is essential for this space to really develop into a complete new world of financial services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to do. So potential for a rise is, is, is pretty enormous. Well, yeah, it's very impressive, very impressive. Yeah, I wish you guys regular luck. Thank and um, yeah, maybe we can do a follow-up in six months, a year time, to see how things are going no, here we'll with the rise. Yeah, we'd we'll love to. Yeah, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up from when we left off. Yeah, we'd we'll love to. Yeah. Anytime. We're busy. I mean, but we always have time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about that I haven't asked you? No, I think it becomes a little bit more philosophical, right? But I mean, I think you, what, you, what we need to understand is that blockchain technology paved the way forward for what we call tokenization of assets. So I think the whole landscape of financial services and the assets that we have that we trade between ourselves is going to change dramatically over the next 10 years. It's a huge opportunity mm -hmm. for a new world of finance. Yeah, I think the 2020s, we're going to see a lot of innovations in decentralized finance as yeah, well. I and, think so. Uh, yeah, Good, exciting, exciting times, right? <laughs> exciting times, exciting times. It's when you mentioned that you you were living <laughs> London in dot in the dot com boom. Yeah. I was I arrived in London just after that, around two thousand one. And I lived there a long time. Yeah. And I moved to Sweden. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's just so funny how things change even <laughs> the communication. Yeah. Um, it changed the world, dot mm. com, right? But it went yeah. through the same, pretty much the same as we saw with the ICO and crypto space. Mm -hmm. There was an initial hype, but everything worked that way. Yeah, 2017 was everything about ICOs. and. I used to go to some meetings, not that often, but I had an established company. Uh, we were live, we were reasonably big. Um, and I went to these first Tuesday meetings, I think they were called. Uh, which was for like dot com startups and, oh, okay. and I, within after the first couple of meetings I realized that this is going to crash for sure mm -hmm. everything sells everything is financeable everything is going to crash because you know there's just no need for these applications it's completely overhyped and that's exactly what happened to the ICO space mm -hmm. but on the back end of that came some monsters like Amazon and Google and mm. you know and lots of other companies. Exactly. So dot com is not exactly uh, <laughs> gone away, right? Of course you not. Know, you add of a couple of the big ones and you're already into a multi-trillion dollar market mm. cap. Uh, so now, I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen with this space here as mm. well. And so can I, yeah, I can. Well, we don't have to answer if you don't want to. Do you invest in crypto? Uh, no. 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 You don't hold any crypto. No. Why not? I, uh, I, I, one, I don't know what Bitcoin is going to go up and down. I strongly believe that Bitcoin is the new gold. Okay. You believe that Bitcoin is the new gold? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. Bitcoin has validity. I can also see that Ethereum is going through the roof as far as usage is concerned. Mm -hmm. The number of unique uh, addresses and what is being created on the Ethereum blockchain because people are actually using it for businesses mm -hmm. uh, is growing. But whether the pricing of gas on the Ethereum blockchain will go up or down, I really don't know. 
I mean, it, it's really speculation and that goes oh, beyond yeah. what I like to do. Yeah. And then you take all the rest away. I see a lot of s things I just don't want to invest in because I don't see any uh, value in it. Mm -hmm. Give an example of that. Uh, I've been in this space nearly four years now, right? Mm -hmm. And in about two years ago, everybody talked, two and two, two and a half years ago, everybody talked about IOTA. The idea of IOTA, yeah, that's IOTA, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like saying, um, it is going to go from 0.1 dollar to 1 dollar to whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I looked at the white paper, both the business and technical white paper, three, four times. And it was obvious to me that the more IOTA scales, the faster and more efficient it becomes, and the less it costs to use the system. So why the hell would it go up? Okay. <laughs> why would the price go up? And I just said, I, 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 maybe I'm really stupid. I don't understand it. Right? <laughs> so I certainly did not invest. And I saw people saying IOTA goes to two, went to two dollars, to four. Now it's going to hit eight. Why? Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it. And now I think it's down to where it's supposed to be <laughs> around 0.1 dollars, right? Mm. So, th and that's what applied to a lot of these things. So uh, these investment opportunities, very short-term speculation, uh, show me the business cases, show me the, the um, uh, long-term uh, kind of potential of these businesses, right? Mm. And I, you know, uh, no. No, you, you didn't it? want to go down the road. There, there's good technology but being developed, but yeah. I don't see, uh, I lack, business plans that are solidly built and that shows what the potential is short term, medium term and long term for the business you're creating, right? Yeah. And that was just scenario, didn't invest. Yeah, well, how I see it, uh, um, well, I'm not a serious trader, I do buy crypto, mostly Bitcoin, and uh, but you see a big divide between, you know, the Bitcoin maximalist, it's only one, it's only Bitcoin and yeah. then everything else. It's not even worth it to have a look. But, and, but, but um, I have, I have but some people that believe in, in, for instance, Chainlink. There is this coin, actually I bought some Chainlink. There, people are going crazy about it. You know, have a look if you if you interested. It's called it's Chainlink. Yeah. The coin is called Link. But I just it's have crazy, to. I, yeah, but I have to, to, to just pull that back a little bit, mm. right? Because there's definitely stuff out there especially the deep tech space, that makes sense. And blockchain core space, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the technologies, so there's people doing cool stuff that are financed through the crypto space. So I'm sure there will be some gold mines out there, but I just didn't see them or didn't understand them fully. And being old and conservative like I am, you know, <laughs> I was like, um, I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, so I put all my money and effort into a rise. I think that's a significantly better potential Maybe. than anything else. You know who you, are you on Twitter at all? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe you should follow John McAfee. He's a big, big Bitcoin yeah. maximalist. He's got very funny tweets, and and uh, you should follow him. Maybe he'll change your mind. No, but uh, <laughs> the, the Bitcoin is different, right? And the core technologies at the top of, of the pyramid here uh -huh. are cool. I'm, I'm big, Bitcoin, I actually own Bitcoin. That's not the issue, it's just a question. I mean, I have Bitcoins, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is that I don't speculate in them. Okay. I just keep, uh, hope I, I have them and I hold them and I will see what happens in the future. Yeah. Because when everything goes to hell, which people think <laughs> it will, 
if not from because of global warming, then because of something. Yeah. Uh, coronavirus, I don't know. <laughs> coronavirus, uh, oh my god. <laughs> how, where is your safe storage? Uh -huh. In gold, physical gold? Well, it's kind uh -huh. of difficult to, to uh, I think uh, to yeah. chop up a gold bar, right? When you can sure. have a digital version. But I think of, here, of I think, gold. I think here, like in Europe or in Scandinavia, in Sweden, Denmark, we have an advantage already. Everything is pretty much cashless. Yeah. And everything, everybody's banked, and um, yeah. Yeah, but Denmark is different because you must have a bank account. Uh -huh, so yes. we don't we we finance it. Thirty five million know. households in the US are, are severely underbanked. I think it's eight point seven million Americans who don't have a bank account at all. But mm -hmm. in Denmark you must have a what we call a NEMP country, an e seeker account uh -huh. to engage with social services and government. Mm -hmm. So there's not a single Dane uh, not I mean, my son doesn't have his ten years old, right? But uh, in like the over eighteen, yeah. Over 18, every yeah. adult have a bank account in Denmark. They okay. must have one. The banks are forced to give a bank account to to everybody. Very if nothing good. else, just a name ID account so you can get social benefits. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. So we don't have a problem with that. I didn't anymore. know that. No. You see, you learn a new thing every day. Yeah. <laughs> but it's surprising. Numbers yeah. are surprising, right? I think it's 1.9 million uh, people in the UK who don't have a bank account. Yeah, That's yeah. Enough. I think in the UK, I would say, is closely to Brazil. You do, you do use you use cash for um, small things like your lunch, your you go to the supermarket, you buy a few things, but then you use a card, and and then in Sweden, and I came here, I've been in Sweden almost four years. I think I've used cash twice. Yeah. I never just by and never yeah and I think one of the reasons is the app called Swish. Um, if no one just explain quickly what Swish is, is a P two P app that you can do payments P two P. You can send money to your friends or uh, so if you have a friend, they ask you for like a hundred crowns. You just use Swish. I think that's the that eliminates the need for cash, something that doesn't have in UK, at least I don't know if there is. No, but that, like that. that's, that's pretty smart. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. Because you we're still go and buy, you know, go to, to the ATM and take 20 pounds for, you know, for your lunch, for your daily expenses. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's what we have here as well with mobile pay and what you have in Sweden. The problem is yeah, the system. Yeah, it's mobile pay. Yeah, it? but, yeah. but, but um, the problem with that is that it doesn't really work very well cross-border. No, because you can use switch in, in Denmark. No, you can't, right? yeah. So, and, and then you so, are subject to all the cost involving cross-border payments mm -hmm. as you are traditionally with a banking system. In our case, you can actually, within maximum two years, probably a year and a half from now, you can take uh, Mexican pesos and just mm -hmm. with a swipe, you can send them and exchange them to tie back and the only cost you would have for that is less than one percent mm -hmm. and that one percent relates only to the foreign exchange uh, the cost of exchanging the money in the bank end hopefully okay. we get it down to about half a percent including the conversion to the local currency mm -hmm. so, so you know that's mobile pay swish as you call it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah. Um, you know just international yes, version yes, of yes. that uh -huh, okay but um but also I think that 
but, but another thing that is quite dear to me is that this, the, the, the problem that I have with financial inclusion at large is that so the banking system as we know it today is not geared to handle small clients who don't have a lot of money. It costs money for them and if you only have an income of say $500 a month, why would you even consider for a second having to start p paying fees to a bank? Exactly. You know, to their shareholders yeah, to get paid. Yeah. That's like, doesn't make any sense. You need to create mm -hmm. a system for them that has no frictions, no limitations, doesn't have implications as far as taxation is concerned beyond what they're used to, and then frictionless can move money around the way you want. And that's really what we want to create. And that use case is very well advanced here. And it's funnily enough, it's also advancing really well in Denmark, with which has this financial inclusion situation, because we're working closely with something called ISOBO, which is a collecting agency branch organization. In Denmark, we have 100,000 uh, volunteer organizations, Boy Scouts, small football clubs, you know, uh, you name it, gymnastics, mm -hmm. all sorts of things, small churches have their own little collection agencies and stuff like that, all registered to a system that they have to be registered. They have enormous fee. It's when they collect cash, when they move money around, and Boy Scouts, for example, who move, can't even get a bank account. So when they go on a camp to Sweden, they have to have cash with them oh. from, from adults to pass it on, while we can give a small sort of top-up pay-up system with parents' consent. Mm -hmm. We can give them a wallet. Uh, on a mobile phone, on our uh, mama application, mm. and then even small kids can have a bank account. Because okay. my ten-year-old son, he had he has a yeah. smartphone. He has that since he was eight, and he yeah, would know how to I've use that in limited uh, edition. Right? I think I've heard something like that. I think in Sweden there is this app called Gimme yeah. that you can uh, top up, and they have a physical card, and you <coughs> give the card to your child. Yeah. You can, yeah. And then the uh, boy scouts can move money between yeah, themselves between and themselves. they can, it, it becomes much more, uh, much cheaper and more easy yeah. than what we have today. Good. So the use cases are mm -hmm. uh, even here in, in Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. If you want to know how blockchain PR can help your business grow, just go to www.blockchainpr.online. Hi there, my name is Ana Paula Picasso and you are listening to the Blockchain PR Podcast. Is the hype around blockchain dead? To answer this question, I invited Ludwig Oberi, co-founder of cryptocurrency broker Safello, and Angelica Lips da Cruz, CEO of Inorbis, a business analytical tool for sustainable development using blockchain. Ludwig, Angelica and I talked about the hype cycles around blockchain and crypto projects, and also how blockchain can help solve sustainability problems. And if you want to know more about Inorbis or Safello, the links are in the description.